0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me today is my special guest from England, Jan Cavell. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. Jan is the author of a book called Scale for Success that was launched in the UK and online versions early 2021 and will actually be launched in hardback in Australia and New uh, Zealand. And will be launched in Australia and the United States in July 2021 welcome jan thank you so very much for having me on the show it's great to be here so jan my question is actually going back a step okay you've gone out you've interviewed all these people for your book and i'm going to ask the obvious question but why
1: Why did I write it or why did I interview?
0: Well, no, no, I you know, what was your motivation? You know, you know, what what was your why in doing it? Absolutely. Well, it was twofold. Firstly,
1: I've always always dreamt of writing a book ever since childhood. And it was something that just got put on hold with life as these things do. But having more time on my hands post having businesses of my own, you know, it seemed to me that this was the time to actually fulfill that little one on the bucket list. So that's part of it was my passion for writing. The second part is to do with my passion for entrepreneurship and In my own experiences and talking to many other entrepreneurs as I have, even back then, I found there was this problem that people have, you know, we all know it's hard to start a business, get it off the ground, but there's actually a second wave of problems that come about when you try and morph that business into something from a small startup into a much bigger scale up. Yeah, when you kind of grow, yep. absolutely and having experienced those problems there's less focus on that in many ways and actually it sort of is for is a real killing off point of businesses and you know I'd experienced so many of the problems one at some failed at others and I thought you know this is the perfect combination I can actually do something that helps others and indulges my pure passion for writing, let's be honest, um, put a book together that helps other people get through those particular problems. And okay. so why did I interview? Sorry.
0: Oh, I was gonna ask you so so you've interviewed entrepreneurs, you know, around and you you say on your profiles that you're in awe of them. Define entrepreneurship. How did you define someone as an entrepreneur?
1: I define I mean it's purely a personal definition.
0: Yeah.
1: But I define somebody as an entrepreneur who is or has built a business that is sustainable,
0: scalable, and or at least one, if not more. Okay. And and how did you choose the people that you interviewed? Or did <laughs> they choose you by natural selection? <laughs> um, that w- that was an
1: interesting one. I started off with a very sort of much more modest plan, let's be honest, about uh, involving people I knew through uh, high-growth enterprise clubs and things in Britain, and so that seemed fairly easy. When Bloomsbury got involved to publish the book, they Because they, not least because they publish in Australia and the States as well, but they wanted me to involve more global entrepreneurs. And I hadn't finished the book by any means. I I was only a little boy into it. And so I had to broaden my scope of trying to ask people if they would very kindly donate time and expertise to creating this thing which was fascinating because I hadn't really talked to, you know, let's let's stick with Australia, to Australian entrepreneurs before. And, you know, they were just fantastic. I have, you know, so half a dozen Australian entrepreneurs in the book contributing. And and just, they were just great. Loved it. Loved every minute of it.
0: So do you apply the same measure of success to your definition of entrepreneur you said someone who's built a business that's scalable etc is that what you think success looks like it's an interesting one because particularly interesting for me
1: in that in the book for one common factor that uh, you know reaches through all all the entrepreneurs is i asked each from what their definition of success was as part of the book and they almost all came up with commonalities. For them, and these are people who are seriously successful, it was a lot to do with freedom. It wasn't so much money. It was freedom to do what you want, which is often provided by money, if that makes sense. And also some form of creating of give back, that was much more, you know, wanting to cre- create an impact. Uh, all those things put together. With, and yes, sometimes, well, actually mostly um, with an end goal of eventually building
0: something that they would sell on. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's a separate one. I, I guess in all my businesses that I've started and and, you know, listed one of them in South Africa, I never started it with the invent- with the intention of selling it. I almost had more noble objectives, and I'm not not decrying anybody's objectives. But but I meet a lot of people today, and you say, "Oh yeah, I started my business last week Tuesday, and I have a plan that in eight years and three months I'm going to sell it." Um, how fluid of all these interviews? How many of the entrepreneurs? Actually, had a long-term plan. I would say probably about eighty percent. Okay, that sort of flies in the face of common wisdom. That entrepreneurs, I mean, you know, my book has a word, a, a, a phrase on the back of it that says. You know, business is not complicated. Business is simple. Just dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. So there's always a sort of greater guiding plan, but it's fluid. It's fluid in the way it gets implemented. And there was never a thought of selling. That's interesting. Then I, w- I mean,
1: I think it depends on... Which business? I mean, there are a few people in there who've gone on to to have listed companies on either the um, is it I can't remember what's the Asian one called Nasdaq, yeah. um, and you know, or the one of the US stock exchanges. You know, there's there's different forms of selling. That you know, if you go crazy with growth to that extent. Um, you know, so so I think there's different it, it depends at different levels, but I I tend to think they have to have some end goal for themselves. I mean, quite a few of the very successful ones, you know, were very determined to make a lot of money in a short space of time to buy the lifestyle they wanted for their families um or you know or it is ongoing if they want to do it's much more likely to be ongoing i think if they're wanting to create an impact on the world because you know they probably don't want to stop
0: doing that so okay so we've spoken about where to go who does this what success looks like so they've achieved success what is the first secret that you've learned from the secret club of entrepreneurs about scaling a business
1: that I think a lot of people drift into scaling by just growing. I know I did. I was strong on sales. You know, sales was my thing. Um, the rest of it, not so. Hard. sales. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just thought the business is great. Wheeze. I, You know, if I go on selling, I will grow and I won't have any problems. And uh, I think that, you know, that isn't the way to scale a business, as I learned. Uh, you know, you actually have to plan it uh, a little bit more than that, however, to to whatever degree. I I, I absolutely get what you're saying about being fluid. You have to, as an entrepreneur, goodness knows, we've seen that in, in COVID. I mean, you have to pivot, you have to adapt, you have to swerve and, you know, change and all those things. Absolutely right. But equally, if you're scaling, you also need an underlying plan, which you work out a fair time in advance to, because you're going to have to look for the right people, put finance in place, all these things, which which don't happen. I mean, taking people as an example, if you don't have a plan, it takes a long while to find really, really good people to, in essence, replace you to step back from a business. You know, they're not the sort of people you can get up to and think, oh, I want one of those, yeah. uh, you know. And and so, you know, it needs planning from start to finish. The systems need to go into place, all the sort of stuff that needs to go into it. And I think a lot of people just don't get that. They just drift into it and then wonder why life is even more hellish than before and more firefighting. And they don't progress further up the scale and or make any more money or any of the things
0: that might be their reasons to, to be trying to scale and grow. Okay, and so, so, so really planning and having the the plan in place to accommodate the growth, and whether that is financial or you know, in other words, it it it's a way of looking at the constraints of the business and how to deal with those constraints, either finance or human resources or equipment or something along those lines. That's that's the first secret. What what else came out of your research? being terribly careful with which people you get. I think, you know, that was a
1: consistent theme. A lot of people had found that they had made a wrong hire, which we all do sometimes. Uh, But the damage that that can do can be absolutely catastrophic if you let that person stay in. I had a business coach years ago. And he described that sort of person as an internal terrorist. And, you know, I absolutely get that that description because they may seem charming. They can even be good at your job. But that, you know, because they're one of the lads or whatever, you know, their values are actually, and their charm and everything else are actually destructing the business, however hard you, you struggle to develop that culture. They undermine it all the time, and you just get nowhere. You
0: mentioned my favourite word, culture. Yes. Okay. Um, how important is it to design a culture? Crucial. Or, or does a or does a culture follow the leader in entrepreneurial business?
1: I think it has well. It's become a lot more complex, of course, uh, in the last. You know, year and a half, particularly, you know, you, you know, Australia's been relatively unaffected by COVID, but, you know, the world is moving and Australia very much with it. There's some wonderful leading companies over there, um, to recognizing that there is a shift to home working, to hybrid working and culture has become particularly kind particularly come into focus because of that, because it, it's a very different thing to try and create that strong culture where everybody t- checks in with each other, the water cooler moments, all those things, and, and the leaders' culture and the onboarding and everything else. It's all a different thing trying to create that in a um, digital world without that in the office bid. And I think we're seeing a real shift in what's going on in culture at the moment um, with with tech leading it to try and try and provide better solutions that somehow create a strong culture you know uh, in a in for, for hybrid working in a virtual world yeah exactly yes yeah, thank you yes. for helping me out there absolutely spot on with
0: what I'm right, it is that is part of the challenge is 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 exactly that is and 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 that the human nature human psyche is one of warm bodies and i been quoted as saying that a few times. but um, It's a fact is no person is an island. They do need, you know, human contact and human contact through a camera and a microphone doesn't replace human contact, breathing the same air in the room. Although, you know, in certain countries, you probably don't want to breathe the same air in the room. Okay. True. Sure. I mean, you know, Australia has been very isolated from a lot of the world. During the COVID pandemic, in the UK where you are, which is obviously your best point of reference, you know, what does corporate, um, you know, uh, England look like in five years' time? Does it look anything like it did three years ago?
1: It's interesting, actually. I was just researching for an article because I still write articles places in the last couple of days, and there's been a lot of research done on this, obviously. And there seems to be, at the moment, a disconnect between what people want and what companies imagine and people are, are saying in the surveys that actually companies are too stuck in their ways. They're not going to adapt and announcing that they're going to leave because of it. They are still very scared of going back to the office because of COVID. You know, it has been much more rife over here. And, you know, yes, I absolutely get that there's the loneliness and the isolation and mental health issues. And, and so do the people surveyed. But even more than that the dominant thing is they're saying that on the whole they prefer it because they Get autonomy in their work, they get that trust and the lack of micromanaging, the lack of judgment of working, you know, having their work judged by hours, instead, it's judged by performance and all those things, and, and freedom and life balance. And it's just outweighing for the, the majority of people are actually wanting to retain incredibly high percentages. I think three different surveys showed 83% or around that figure of people. wanting to stay working at home for at least most of the time. Okay, so so
0: there's two questions that come out of that. One is the average entrepreneur that I know isn't ready to give up the control of managing the people to KPIs that probably aren't relevant or, you know, performance indicators. And secondly, what is the impact? And and so, you know, then the people who want to work from home one of the challenges is not having a disconnect between home and work, which is probably Absolutely. not very good for mental and physical health. So, so you know, as an entrepreneur, you want to look after the people in your organisation. How do you empower them? And the converse is that people are working at home. How do you force them to disconnect?
1: I think, you know, first... For forcing them to disconnect
0: us in sort of downtime from work, do you well, mean, as opposed decompress. To yes, from- decompress. So, so decompress. Oh, I, right. I I use the the analogy that, and use the London tubes. Right, most a lot of people commute on the tube. Right. Yes. And so, as much as the tube at five pm in the afternoon is not a pleasant place to be, particularly in summer, um, nevertheless, the experience of walking out of your office, going to the tube or the bus or the or the overground or whatever it is, and even being squashed into the compartment with lots of other people for a relatively short ride period, okay, takes you out of the work environment. It is the decompression time. The commute is your decompression time. It is when people used to listen to podcasts. So very interestingly, two years ago, podcasts were 15 minutes, you know, you never ran a podcast more than 15 minutes because that was commuting time across the world, average 15 minutes today. People are consuming it sitting at their desk at home. And so you can have much longer, much more in detail podcasts. That's interesting. Very interesting.
1: And I know exactly what you mean. I've used the decompress of a commute myself and it can be hugely helpful. Uh, you know, I think they've just simply adapted and found. You know, we've we've been in lockdown so long over here. You know, there comes a point where, after a while, people have to adapt. You know, and most people have found different ways to and and seen the benefits of work home life balance, and and you know, gone for a walk after work or gone to the gym after work or whatever. You know, for different ways of doing it, uh, uh, and I think. It, it's, it's something people can adapt to, that one. Creating and, and a culture is a much harder problem. <laughs> are entrepreneurs
0: ready to give up control?
1: Ah, uh, yes. Now, that's a very interesting one. I mean, of course, the big tech giants are already doing it. I mean, people like Facebook, uh, you know, and, and Daltasian and people like that are already saying you can work at home on a permanent basis. You know, so they're going to be faced, a lot of them are going to be faced with, uh, you know, uh, uh the fact that's where why a lot of the world's going. And I think the answer is not all of them, probably, it would be my, if you want my educated guess, but some of them will. I mean, we're seeing huge numbers, of course, of tech companies emerging. And they're, uh, by their very nature, you know, they're, they're very adaptable and probably have had some degree of homeworking already in place. So they're halfway there. It will. It'll be the old school companies. I do know entrepreneurs who, you know, I, you know, I'm getting rid of them if they're not coming back to the office and all this, um, who
0: won't adapt at all, never. So okay. it'll be an interesting sort of division. So you mentioned something about sales. That in your furniture business, which you had for 20 odd years, I believe. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay. Um. You know, you went out and sold, and that was how your growth strategy appeared. You know, your scale came from just selling more, you know. And there's a famous story told of a, an entrepreneur in South Africa who was a first-generation South African, came out of Eastern Europe, and started a knitting mill in South Africa and became one of the biggest knitting mills. And I, there's a story told of him walking through the factory and seeing a machine standing idle, and he said to the worker, why is the machine standing idle? And the worker said, because we don't have any orders for those socks. And so he said, we'll get back to work. He said, because if you don't make anything, I can't sell it. If you've made socks, I can go out and sell it. And that was his philosophical view of sales. So, you know, I, there's a chapter in my book called Businesses About Sales. Don't tell the marketing gurus. Well, um, <laughs> um, you know, you know, what has changed in sales, and what are the essential elements you see in the selling process of 2021 and beyond?
1: I mean, it. As you know, we've talked about this before, and I'm very pro-sales. I believe it will survive, uh, and there will still be jobs in sales, and I believe it's an essential part of business. Uh, to, to the point that actually, I you know, I suggest that most startup entrepreneurs would do well getting a job, and I've often preached this at schools and colleges and things. You know, getting a Saturday job on a market stall or something similar, simply to get that. Feel of selling. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's an essential skill for a non. But yes, I agree with you. You know, selling has changed in lots of ways. It's much more, you know, goodness. When I started in sales and I was for, I think my, probably my first sales job, because I, I had jobs occasionally when I was young in between starting small ones was for an employment agency and it was a telephone sales job and we were invited into the sort of training day and they just simply sort of put you in a room to sit on the floor with a tape recorder and tape these sales calls you know whereby you had to get through to somebody and make a sale and the turnover was immense it was fierce you know The majority of people didn't last past six weeks and very, very few lasted past 12. It was all about getting people into jobs. Don't care if they left. Don't care if they were miserable. Don't care if anybody was happy. But, you know, the client got billed. And that's how sales was in those days. It was a numbers game. Make as many as possible and to hell with client satisfaction. You know, you, you can't do that anymore. The market has changed. You have to actually care about your clients and be authentic and engaged with people. Uh, you know, yes, you've got, you know. Obviously, it's it's important to sell, but you know, you can't just rip people off and expect to survive. You have to actually care for their outcomes, especially in B and B. You need to B to B rather. You have to align to that. The, that your clients' outcomes and their business success to, to succeed. And you have to really research too. You know, it's it's gone from picking up a phone book and jabbing a pen in a trade directory and pushing out a number and hoping for the best. You know, it's become a much more professional job whereby doing it properly requires you to really research the mark, well, you, know, you need to really know your market. I mean, I didn't know anything about job market when I was sitting on the floor in that training session. Uh, you know, but now you need to know your market. You need to know about what you're selling and its benefits. You need to research your client before you speak to them so you've actually got some idea. You need to identify You know, the band in the whole process Um, you know, all those things. You need to understand, listen to your client and understand
0: where you can solve problems for them. Very different from what it used to be. Well, thank you very much, Jan. That's been a great interview. And uh, I wish you amazing success with your book that is launching in Australia in July 2021, launched in the UK already and on Kindle, called Scale for Success. It's published by Bloomsbury, but it's really your journey into almost an indulgence, but your passion for finding out what makes entrepreneurs grow their businesses and how do they do it. Absolutely. And, And the fact that, you know, Bloomsbury picked it up is fantastic and published it and all those other things. So. You know, best of luck with that. So, people who'd like to contact you either for the next edition of your book and would like to be interviewed, no pressure or anything like that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, something that you said today potentially triggers something with them. So, you know, how, what is the best way to contact you? i would absolutely love to pe- to hear from people i do still write
1: articles about australian entrepreneurs and and uh, people all around the world so just love hearing from other entrepreneurs and writing about them so the easiest way to get in contact leap on my website and i'm sure it's in the show notes below
0: but it is uk. thank you very much jan and Thank you for being the guest today on the Business Excellence Podcast. My pleasure, thank you. This is Railbricker signing off for this edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a short reminder to pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com. That's excellencepodcast.com. And you can find amazing free resources for you to help you on your journey to excellence. And those are available on excellencepodcast.com.